Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Labor Day long weekend, the last kind of unofficial weekend of the summer, and after this weekend, lots of the regular activities of the year, they they begin up again. Uh, Students will soon be going to school. Uh, Universities start up for another semester. Bible studies and catechism classes begin again for another year, and Another season of home visits will commence once more. And as these things get going, these regular activities of life, of church life, it's important to have a right perspective on all these activities. And that's why as we dig into some of Christ's teaching uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to focus first this morning on Christ's teaching about Holy Scripture. We need to understand the importance of, of the Bible, of, of God's Word, and how Christ viewed them. Now, why is it so important for covenant children to be taught at school from a biblical perspective? And why is it a must for university students often studying in a secular um, setting? Why is it a must for them to study with a, a worldview formed by the Bible, by God's Word? And why do we do things like Bible study? Why do we have catechism class? Well, our Lord Jesus, <coughs> for one, answers these questions for us. He, more than anyone else in the entire Bible, He shapes our understanding of the character and importance of the Scriptures. Excuse me. No one taught about Scripture's authority more than Jesus did. No one quoted the Scriptures more than He did. No one lived by the Scriptures more than He did. As you read through the Gospels, you can see his confidence in the truthfulness and reliability of the Bible is unmatched. And he teaches us to gain this same perspective on all of God's Word. So that brings, <coughs> brings us to the sermon theme. The Lord Jesus teaches us about Holy Scripture. We'll see that in this, uh, from this passage from Matthew 22, he teaches us about Scripture's authority, first of all, uh, Scripture's unity, And finally, Scripture's divine origin, or its inspiration. So first of all, the Lord Jesus on Scripture's authority. Now on the Sunday before his crucifixion, Christ Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, with the crowd shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. The next day... Uh, Christ and the Jewish leaders had a bit of a a standoff in the temple courts. Uh, First, the elders challenged Jesus' authority, by which he did things like clear the temple courts of all the money changers. Uh, Next, the Pharisees challenged Christ about paying taxes to Caesar. And then also Christ responded with uh, two parables directly spoken against the Jewish religious leaders. And then in our text, it was the Sadducees' turn to test Jesus 
with a question. Now, who were the Sadducees exactly? Well, many of the priests, including the high priest Caiaphas, were Sadducees. They were wealthy. They exercised great influence in, uh, in all of Israel, especially in Jerusalem. The Sadducees made up the main part of a body called the Sanhedrin, which was the highest ruling body in Israel. So, these are the big boys, so to speak, coming to Jesus with this question to test him. And your average Israelite would surely be intimidated greatly by these men. After all, they came with such authority, and they spoke with certainty. These were learned men. How is your average Israelite supposed to respond to to them? You know what? Uh, Sometimes we might face that in life as well, also as Christians. Think of a Christian university student, maybe feel that way before an experienced a university professor, maybe a philosophy professor. Uh, many of them take delight in casting doubts on the Bible, challenging a, a Christian's uh, faith in God's Word. I know, I've seen it myself in university. And they can speak with such certainty too, seem so sure of themselves. Might feel intimidating. Maybe it's hard not to come away uh, with, from their challenges, plagued by doubts. But as you look at our reading from Matthew 22, you can see the Lord Jesus is not intimidated in any way by the Sadducees. Instead, in their exchange, Christ stands firmly on the truth of Scripture without wavering for one moment. Now, as our text points out, the Sadducees believed that there would be no resurrection of the dead. Once you died, they said, that was it for you, you ceased to exist. And they came to challenge Jesus on this very point. And they came up with a scenario they believed proved their perspective against the resurrection. It was supposed to be a kind of a a gotcha moment directed towards Christ, as in, how are you going to get out of this one? They bring before Christ uh, the topic of marriage, and the Old Testament laws stated that if a married man died without having children, his brother had to marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. And that being the case, the Sadducees said, think of the following scenario. Let's say there were seven brothers. The first man married a woman, but died, leaving no children. So the second married, a man married her, but the same thing happened to him, and then so on with all seven brothers. And finally, the woman herself died. The Sadducees then asked Christ, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And see, the Sadducees believed this proved their perspective against the resurrection of the dead. Why did they believe that? Well, think of it this way. Marriage is a bond that is not meant to be broken. That's how God designed it. 
And if the woman was married to only uh, one of the brothers in the resurrection time period, it appears she would be guilty of unfaithfulness to the rest of her other marriages. After all, she was married during her lifetime to seven brothers. If, however, she was married to all of them in the resurrection, she would surely be guilty of adultery. And so in the mind of the Sadducees, this set up an impossible situation where either way, this woman would be sinning. Look at how the Lord Jesus responds to them. And you know what? I just love the way Christ responds to the Sadducees here. You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Or as Mark's gospel puts it, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? You are wrong, Christ says. You don't know the Bible. And this can have two possible meanings. First, the Sadducees may not really uh, know what the Scriptures were, and I, and I say this because we have evidence they only held to the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, and they only held that as Scripture. So in that sense, they didn't know all of the Scriptures. But the second meaning is that they don't really know them in the biblical sense of knowing. The main problem is that they don't truly believe God's word in their hearts. As 1 Corinthians 2 puts it, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And this perfectly describes the Sadducees and their rejection of the resurrection of the dead. They subjected, the problem with the Sadducees, they subjected the Bible to their minds rather than subjecting their minds to God's Word, the Bible. Right? That's the problem, and that's the problem with Many people in this world, they subject the Bible to their minds rather than subjecting their minds to the Bible, what it says. And how opposite this was from our Lord Jesus Christ. He accepted everything in God's Word. His mind was completely shaped by the Scriptures. What Scripture said, he believed without a doubt And Jesus then instructs the Sadducees about the resurrection of the dead. First, he informs them that their uh, marriage scenario doesn't work. And this is because people will, will not be given in marriage at the resurrection. Instead, Jesus says they will be like the angels in heaven. So their scenario is destroyed. Second, he shows them their error regarding the resurrection and that it is found in the Scriptures. And he even chooses a passage they would accept from the first five books of Moses. Jesus will quote from the book of Exodus. He says, Have you never read 
what was said to you by God, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The parallel story in Mark shows Jesus is quoting from Exodus 3 and uh, Moses in front of the burning bush. It's just a simple statement from the Lord that he is the God of the patriarchs, even though they are long dead. And how does this prove the Sadducees wrong? Well, it shows them that even when believers die, they do not evaporate into thin air. They do not cease to exist, as the Sadducees said. No, God is still their God. God will always be their God. And because that's the case, one day God will raise them again from the dead. They're not stopping to exist. They are alive in some sense as the Scriptures make clear. It's a striking example from the Lord Jesus. He silenced the Sadducees with his use of Scripture. And what does this example show us about Holy Scripture, about the Bible? Well, it shows us, first of all, the Bible's authority. Once Scripture definitively speaks on a matter... That settles it, as Christ shows us here. That's the way it was for Jesus. That's also the way it is for us. Scripture has the final say. It forms all of our doctrine, our beliefs. Christ's example also shows us that every word of Scripture matters. Even the smallest detail can serve an important theological point. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, says the Lord. And Jesus draws out important teaching about the resurrection from those words alone. So the details of Scripture matter. So as we study Scripture too, let's study it in a careful manner as Christ did. For the details matter. And we see this sort of attitude in Jesus towards Scripture in other places as well. Consider Matthew 5, the verses 17 to 18. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest stroke of a pen, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Every single letter mattered to Christ. It served a purpose. It cannot just be jettisoned or done away with. And this confidence in the Bible, this confidence in Christ, that came with authority, with the authority of God, That's what gave Christ confidence as he, for example, battled the devil in the wilderness. He was tempted three times by Satan. Three times he responded by saying, it is written. And Jesus quoted the scriptures. He lived by them, always. And throughout his teaching, he always expressed the greatest confidence 
about all the events of the Old Testament. He referenced Old Testament stories such as creation, the making of Adam and Eve, the great flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jonah and the big fish, and on and on and on. And he spoke of them with absolute certainty that they were historical fact. He spoke with complete confidence that the scriptures were true. That's also why he prayed to his father in John 17, Father, sanctify your people by the truth. Your word is truth. May we grow in this same attitude of God's word, of the Bible. God's word is truth. It comes with authority. It has a final say for all of our, our doctrine, our beliefs, our life. It guides us in all that we need to know for our salvation. It, it leads us in all that we need to know to live for the glory of God, to live a life pleasing to God. And so never be unsettled by people who appear to be smart and try cast doubt on God's word. They may state their position with confidence, but in the end... They will fail. Instead, we take on the attitude of Christ. We submit our minds to Scripture. We do not submit Scripture to our minds. That brings us to the second point. So that brings us next to Christ's teaching about Scripture and specifically Scripture's unity. This also brings us to the next section of our reading To see the unity of the Scriptures, we're going to focus on the next section of Matthew 22, and especially verse 40. This time it was the Pharisees' turn to question Jesus. One of them, an expert in the law, asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Christ then responded with the summary of the law that I usually quote after reading the Ten Commandments every Sunday, as I did at the beginning of the service. And the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole being. The second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then notice again how Christ adds that statement after, after this. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's especially this statement we want to focus on. What does this statement mean? Well, first of all, the Law and the Prophets was one way the Jews referenced or referred to uh, the entire Old Testament Scriptures. They could call it the Law and the Prophets. And Christ is saying that the entire Old Testament depends, or hangs, as we could translate it, from these two central commandments. Think of these two commandments like two nails in a wall, From these nails, you hang with a string all sorts of objects. They depend, they hang from those nails. Without them, they come crashing down. It's like that with these two commandments as well. Every commandment there is in the law, all the instruction in the law, every word written in the prophets comes back to this point. Back to the perfect love of God and a self-sacrificial love for our neighbor. 
These two commandments are like a thread weaving their way through the whole Old Testament, binding it all together. As one uh, person put it, as a door hangs on its hinges, so the whole Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. And what does this statement from Christ show us specifically about Scripture? One thing it shows us is the unity of Scripture. We have 39 books in the Old Testament, written over hundreds of years by different authors. And yet these two commandments form the basis for all of them. There's not one book not guided by these commandments. Not one word of Scripture that contradicts these commandments or denies them. All of Scripture gives the same message. We must know and believe Scripture is a unity. It all fits together. At the end of the day, it will not contradict itself. As Christ says in John 10, the Scriptures cannot be broken. That is to say, they cannot be broken up, destroyed, nullified, ruined, shattered into pieces. It's a whole. That doesn't mean we will never be challenged in this regard. There may be times when it appears that Scripture contradicts itself. Maybe two teachings seem opposed to each other. Perhaps two accounts of the same story seem to conflict. Here's where we do well to remember a wonderful phrase I think is worth remembering. uh, The phrase, faith-seeking understanding. Faith-seeking understanding. When we come across those things where, hmm, I don't understand how this all fits together. When our faith is challenged that way in something in Scripture, we don't just throw up our hands and walk away from the Bible. Instead, we continue to trust God's Word. We trust that the Bible does fit perfectly together in some way. It's just that our understanding needs to grow. So faith, seeking understanding, great words to live by. See, in the Bible, yes, we have individual books in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but at the end of the day, we have one book, God's Word. And the Scriptures especially show their unity in how they point us to Jesus Christ, All of Scripture is about Him, about our salvation in Him. After His resurrection in Luke 24, Christ spoke with two of His followers on the road to Emmaus. He says in verse 27, it says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Likewise, he told the Pharisees in John 5, you diligently search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. As we study God's Word, remember to look for Christ who appears throughout its pages. 
is the very center of it all. It brings us to our last point. Look at uh, Scripture's divine origin or inspiration. Now, the Lord Jesus had lots to say about Scripture during his ministry. There's one final thing in our reading. You can find that in the last section of Matthew 22. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had questioned Jesus. Now, it was his turn to ask them a question. And he asked, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, And then Jesus quotes Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, so Jesus asks, whose son is the Christ, the son of David? How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? The answer to Jesus' question here is this. Christ is indeed David's son. However, he is David's son only according to the flesh. The Christ, though, is more than just that. The Christ is also the son of God. That's why David refers to his own son as Lord. Christ is both son of David and son of God. So that's the answer to Christ's question, but there's something else we want to focus on here in this third point. Notice how before quoting from Psalm 110, notice how the Lord Jesus refers to Scripture. He says, How is it that David, in the Spirit calls him Lord. So when David spoke the words of Psalm 110, he was speaking by the Holy Spirit. And that's because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Bible. And notice, that first of all, there, there is a human author for Scripture. Yes, King David, the man, wrote Psalm 110. And Scripture reveals something of the character of the human author on its pages. The prophet Isaiah was a trained scribe. His writing is very elegant. The prof, prophet Amos was a shepherd. His message is very gruff. The Apostle John's Greek is relatively easy to translate, if you know Greek. The Apostle Peter's Greek can be a real headache. So it is true that there, the Scripture reveals something of the human element in its writing. But at the same time, Scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible ultimately is from God. And this is something we call the inspiration of, of the Scriptures. That the Holy Spirit so moved the human authors that what they wrote was the very Word of God. And this truth is described perfectly in 2 Peter 1 where it says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
our text or in Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus puts the emphasis on the human author David because he's making a point about something David is saying about his own son. But many other texts in the Bible emphasize the speaking of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you one example from Acts 4, where the disciples prayed, Sovereign Lord, you said by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David. And then they quote Psalm 2. So Psalm 2 ultimately, yes, a Psalm of David, but it is God speaking by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. And many more examples could be cited, but I think you get the idea. And so, beloved, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. It comes from Him. It's His revealed will to us. And that's why the Bible has the authority we looked at in point one. That's why Jesus had such confidence in the Scriptures. That's why the Bible has perfect unity as we saw in point two. It's because the Bible ultimately has one author, God the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important for covenant children to be taught God's word from an early age in all of life. And that's why we emphasize the importance of Christian education from a biblical perspective. And that's why we attend things like Bible studies. That's why we diligently read and study the scriptures at home. It's through that study of God's word, we come to know God's will, God's salvation, and God himself. And that's why the Bible must form our worldview when we study at a secular university. Having a Bible-shaped worldview is to have a God-shaped worldview. That will keep us on the right path as we navigate all the competing worldviews in the world. And the more we know the Scriptures and prayerfully search the Scriptures, the more we will come to know our Lord and Savior and the salvation He has brought us through the forgiveness of our sins. And not only that, but we will also be moved more and more to take on his same love and devotion to God's word. Amen.